It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Welcome to Fruit Loops. Thank you so, so much for listening. We must say that some of the things that we discuss on this podcast may be triggering and or disturbing to some listeners. Please know that we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder, among other disturbing subjects. Listener discretion is advised. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color that we don't hear about or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white. Did you know that? (laughs) I did. (laughs) You did. Well, Beth is the OG of true crime. It is true. But because serial killers tend to choose victims of their own race, and the press loves to report on white victims while neglecting the stories of people of color, a lot of people believe that there are no serial killers of color. But there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and uh, the true crimes committed by people of color and their victims, can't forget them, that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well... The news is racist, guys. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We are not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Yes, and we should point out, um, we did this in our first episode, but just to remind people that uh, I think Beth is an OG of true crime. (laughs) I am a half uh, African-American, half uh, Afro-Latina woman, and... uh, those are three minority groups, and we deserve to be talked about more. So uh, how are you, Beth? I'm exhausted. Okay, I know you are, but do you have enough energy to tell me about how dope Canada was? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to go there. I want to go there, and I want to live there, and I, I don't want to be sad I know. <laughs> I know, me too. It's, uh, yeah, I, I really like Canada. It's it's kind of like a cross between a European country and America. Yeah. I think, I think, um, so if, okay, so Canada has, you know, racism and they didn't, they weren't very nice to Native Americans too, but, um, side by side with America, we look like super assholes and Canada looks super awesome. I know. I know. So, <laughs> so what, like, what things did you do? I was there for Canada day. Which what was, do they do on Canada Day? Oh, uh, they do similar things to what we do. It's not as big of a deal there as Fourth of July is because they didn't fight right. for their There's, independence. There was less conflict in their history, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not as big of a deal. Um, but they do similar things, uh, you know, barbecues and uh, they do fireworks. Uh, and so my sister was telling me. Um, that they usually have fireworks in this park near where they live. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, oh, but last year we f- we forgot about it and we went to bed. And I was like, how does that happen? And then uh, we forgot about the fireworks and we went to bed. Oh, shit. <laughs> because <laughs> because the, uh, the sun doesn't go down until like 11 o'clock. 
No and, way. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get dark until that late. So uh, the fireworks don't start till like 11, 30, 12. So, yeah, that's so that's how you forget about fireworks. I, I, I didn't know that fact about Canada. Is, so is Edmonton on the uh, like way far east? Wait, no, no. No, it's it's like straight above us pretty much. Straight north from Phoenix. Okay. Um but the farther north you are, the longer uh the day's going to be and the shorter the night's going to be and and it's the reverse in the winter. So their days are very very short in the winter. Oh, okay. That part sounds really shitty. But the, yeah, the yeah. long day part? <laughs> Do you know how happy I would be? How many less meds I'd have to take? <laughs> I know, but then the winter you'd be all like, I want to die. Yeah, I so. would just, I would just, I, 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 would, I would hide in my bed and never leave my house. <laughs> well, while you were gone, so uh, Beth and I work in the same office building and I kept and you make the best coffee (laughs) and I kept like looking at my watch like where's where's the the damn coffee where's the damn best special where is it god damn it it. well tomorrow there will be coffee but I don't think you're in the office tomorrow. well yeah I'm not I'm not in on on Mondays and normally I would be working tomorrow from home but I am taking a day. Sweet. Do we have any shout outs? Uh, it's the shout out section of our show. And what we like to do at this time is shout out uh, to any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. And I found one. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> so I found a directory for podcasts of color. And it is called Podcasts in Color. And I actually found them after we submitted our show to Spotify and and other um, media outlets are doing this now. It's super trendy. They're trying to get they're they're trying to get us people of color interested in podcasting and try to take our ideas and monetize them. And Spotify is no different. Um, So they decided uh, that they wanted to do a boot camp for podcasters of color in New York, we were denied, but when they didn't select us, they gave us a list of resources for podcasters of color. So that's how I got this, this, um, so that's pretty group. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for the consolation prize. Um, in, um, so anyway, podcasting color is the leading destination for black podcasts and podcasts of color. Um, they cover, they, uh, have a directory of podcasts that cover topics such as health, comedy news love sports pop culture and yes true crime but guess what the true crime space is so small like all the other um categories have long lists of um of creators but the true crime one only has four right now so um we will be submitting our podcast. So we will be on that directory soon. But um, I, I would also like to add, if you guys know of any um, other um, podcasts created uh, for and by people of color or any other minority or marginalized groups, um, give them a shout out. Um, consider uh, letting us know yeah. uh, where to find them because we would love to give them a shout out too. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, so, oh, the website is uh, podcastincolor.com. All right. Very cool. So um, I have some crime news. Um, mm-hmm. I listened recently to a podcast by California Dreaming. Uh, it was a bonus episode on the Hart family. And I don't know if you remember, but this is the family that went off a cliff in their SUV back in March of this year. Uh, The parents were a white lesbian couple, and they had adopted six children. All of them were African-American. And they had previously been in the spotlight in 2014 when one of the kids, Devontae, was holding a sign asking for free hugs at a Black Lives Matter demonstration. And he was photographed with tears running down his face while a white police officer was hugging him. So it's kind of an Mm. iconic photo, actually. 
Yeah, I listened to the episode, but it definitely made me rethink that photo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I hadn't heard much uh, about this story after the family had gone off the cliff, and I actually kind of forgot about it. Um, but this episode has all the details, and I was curious at the time. So apparently the mothers were abusive, or at least one of them was. They had been reported to CPS several times, and they would move to different locations after they would get reported. I'm guessing to avoid the consequences. People reported uh, that the kids often stole food or begged for food from the neighbors. Uh, so the mothers were probably using, they were probably withholding food as a form of punishment, which is just awful. Terrible idea. <laughs> Don't do <Yeah>. that. <laughs> yeah. They eventually pulled the kids from school completely in order to homeschool them. But most like, likely they did that uh, because the teachers at school were the ones who kept reporting them to CPS. The police believe that the accident where the SUV went off the cliff was actually a murder-suicide. There was no indication at the scene that the SUV had braked prior to going off the cliff. Jennifer Hart was driving the S SUV when it went off the cliff. So it's my feeling that she was probably the abuser. Uh, yeah. They both may have been abusive. But it seems to me that she's probably she was probably the main abuser or possibly even just the abuser. And she may even have been abusing her wife as well. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised. Conjecture on my part. Yeah. What? But anyway, the impetus of the murder-suicide was that they had again been reported to CPS. And apparently this was the last straw. Mm. I also wanted to mention that their social media, uh, as in the episode in California Dreaming, that's K-I-L-L, -L, California, dreaming. Mm -hmm. uh, she mentioned that their social media was carefully curated to show what appeared to be a wonderful, happy life. And it just goes to show that you can't trust what you see on social media. Uh, the person who you see on Facebook as having the perfect life probably doesn't. We all have problems, and most people just want to project a happy image of their lives on social media. I say most because there are some Eeyores out there, <laughs> the ones who are always complaining and garnering attention through their expression on social media of their miserable yeah, we existence. We know who they are. You know yeah, who they are. Know yeah. They are. <laughs> so uh, I, I listened to that episode and like... I pulled up to my home and there was like 10 minutes left. And my husband was like, I need help with this. And I was like, I can't step away <laughs> I can't from stop. this episode. There's 10 yeah, more it was, I mean, it it was, was really, really good. good. She told the story so well. So Yeah, um, and she, and she has a great voice. She's very soft-spoken. I have to turn the, the volume way, way up because she's very soft-spoken. Mm -hmm. But she has a very nice voice. She does. She does. And um, just shout out to her. She's she put together a great show. So I yeah. did subscribe after listening to this episode and you guys should too oh also subscribe to our show fruit loops available anywhere you can podcast, by the way spotify google play and oh itunes so uh Sweet. oh and stitcher too yeah And we're talking about who? Hit it, Beth. Jake Bird, also known as the Tacoma Axe Killer. Jake Bird was born in Louisiana in what he described as a town with no post office. And he claimed that he could not even remember it. Uh, he confessed to being involved in or committing 44 murders. He was apprehended on October 30th, 1947, and hanged at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. All right, let's let's get into some stats, everybody, shall we? Um, oh, excuse me, my hip-hop air horn just went off. <laughs> so uh, he was... Uh, I, he was linked to 12 to 46 victims. He confessed to 46, but I don't think any of them were ever for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, the victims were mostly white ladies. Um, the characteristics of him, his crimes included rape and robberies. The method of his crimes was he would beat victims with an axe or a hatchet or stab people with a knife. 
The crimes uh, were from the 1930s to 1947, and they occurred all over the United States, uh, including uh, in all states. uh, (laughs) They occurred all over the United (laughs) States from um, Florida, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Washington. Now, I just have to say, uh, I don't know why any black person would go to some of those states on purpose. Yeah, South okay. South Dakota? What? South Dakota? <laughs> did, did I see a Wisconsin? Uh, uh, Iowa? I didn't know there was black people in Iowa, but there probably are. But anyway... Um, and he was apprehended, as Beth said, in October 1947 in, T- in Tacoma. Okay, so uh, his early life, um, we don't have a lot of information about that. Uh, all we know is that he was born in Louisiana in 1901, and he reportedly had a troubled home life that caused him to leave home at the age of 19. And uh, he was what people at the time might call a hobo, someone who travels to find work. Bird used train hopping as a means of transportation. He would sneak onto train cars, then hop off once the train reached a town. He might trade a day's work for a night's sleep and a warm meal wherever he stopped, only to hop back on another train and start the process again. This was actually pretty common at the time. Yeah, it was. Um, actually, I had an uncle who uh, was killed hopping hopping a train. Excuse me? Yeah. In the United States? In the United States, yeah. Um, my, my dad was actually uh, older. Um, uh-huh. He was like 40 when I was born. So he grew Whoa. up during the Depression, mm-hmm. and he was in World War II. And I believe it was during the the depression uh his older brother uh was train hopping and he fell off the train and and uh got killed he got run over by the train that sounds awful i know but yeah it was pretty pretty common it happens yeah it was Mm -hmm. very common well I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. Don't know anybody that <laughs> back, that's happened to. Back in the back 30s, bef- way, 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 way before I was born. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Um, the work was extremely difficult and the pay was low, but it was one of the only jobs available for Southern black men and newly arriving immigrants at the time. Black men were working on the railroad, were held in high esteem among their peers. There is a blues song that says, when you marry, marry a railroad man, say every day, Sunday, a dollar in your hand. Did you really, did you know that song? No. No, you just made it up. (laughs) I just ad-libbed. It's probably totally wrong because I'm so unqualified. (laughs) But um, I think that we'll, we can link to it is is this a link to the tune? Yeah, well, there's a, uh, it's a, might be an NPR uh, show something like that oh, okay. it's about okay. the african-american railroad experience which i intended to listen to on the plane and i did not <laughs> so okay so i i gotta interject here with some railroad news no i don't need to do the jingle but um so my my son is obsessed with trains so we go we frequent many train museums oh wow and many aviation museums it's it's just like something we do every weekend We'll find a new one. And I am so disappointed in these train museums because they never, ever have any exhibits um, talking about the Chinese people or the black people or the any other people of color who built the goddamn railroad system. And they really should be ashamed of themselves. However, I went to the aviation museum today and Maybe because aviation is more sexy and the Tuskegee Airmen are more sexy, but they had a very well laid out, thought out, cared for exhibit for the black men who fought in World War II. Oh, that's cool. Um, in the Air Force. So the Tuskegee Airmen. And and I, I had to let a manager know that I was very excited nice. about it. And I had to shout out all my social media to cry out how um, it's it's. Uh, it's gross. It's so gross to have everything be all white. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, I understand. 
All right, so Bird had an extensive criminal record, including burglary and attempted murder, although uh, I could find no information about that. Um, Just that uh, Bird had estimated he had served about 15 years in various prisons for committing crimes, but I don't know what those crimes were. Okay, so normally we would dive into a timeline, dates, places people right but we can't do that no we're gonna have to do this one a little bit differently because um as you said normally we go through a timeline listing the crimes as they happen but this one had very little information on his earlier crimes so we'll just start with the one crime that is documented all right let's hit it all right That means it's party time. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay. So on October 30th, 1947, Bird was prowling through Tacoma, Washington. When he stopped at the home of Bertha Clute, she was 52 and her teenage daughter, Beverly, was home with her. Finding an axe in the woodshed, Bird reportedly stripped off his clothes before breaking into the house and hacking both victims to death. At 2.30 a.m. on Thursday, October 30th, uh, Tacoma Police Officers Andrew P. Sabutis and Evan Skip Davies were dispatched to the Clute House on 21st Street to investigate reports of screams coming from inside the house. As they approached, a barefoot man ran out of the back door into the backyard and crashed through a picket fence. The police officers gave chase. The fugitive scaled several more backyard fences, but was finally stopped by a high wire fence and cornered in some nearby bushes. He pulled out a switchblade and then attacked the officers cutting the hand of one and stabbing the other in the back. Whoa! Yeah. (laughs) One of the officers, a former prize fighter, subdued the assailant with a left hook to the jaw and kicked in the groin. Kick in the groin. That's... Kick in the groin! (laughs) It's always a good one. (laughs) Woo! More kicks to the groin. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, we're being ridiculous. <laughs> After the fight, the prisoner was taken to the Tacoma General Hospital by Officer John Hickey in a patrol wagon, and he received treatment for head and face lacerations. Sabutis was admitted to St. Joseph Hospital with a severe back wound, and Davies had the cuts on his hand stitched and bandaged. When police officers entered the residence, they found Ms. Bertha Clute and her daughter, Beverly June Clute, age 17, and they were both dead. Both women had been dealt several blows to the head with an axe. The murder weapon was found on the kitchen floor. The man captured by the Tacoma police officers was identified as Jake Bird, a 45-year-old transient who had a lengthy criminal record. Um, as we mentioned before, including burglaries, mm-hmm. assaults, and attempted murder. At the city jail, Bird confessed to the murders, but claimed that burglary was his sole motive for entering the Clute residence. He was caught in the act, this is what he said, he was caught in the act by Bertha Clute, uh, trying to rob the house, and tried mm-hmm. to escape. Uh, and then she tried to stop him, Bird panicked, and hit her in the head with an axe. Beverly June was awakened by the screaming and uh, ran out to protect her mother and was killed. But homicide detectives determined that a, an attempt had been made to sexually assault Bertha Clute in the, her, her bedroom before uh, she was uh, murdered. Um, so they their theory was that he... He entered the house to sexually assault her, rape her, and Beverly June was murdered uh, because uh, she was trying to protect her mother. In your true crime experience, Mm -hmm. have you heard of anybody entering a house naked to rob it? No. (laughs) Okay, just wondering. Yeah, I, I, I think the police were probably... Correct in their assessment. <laughs> okay. Well, um, and I also read 
that the door was unlocked. Oh, they, they didn't okay. lock their doors. Yeah, so. which you know, at the time, a lot of people didn't lock their doors. Yeah, and I uh, something else that I read was that um, when uh, Jake Bird was brought into the uh, police station and they were questioning him, apparently he was a really good talker, and uh, oh. he had them almost convinced. But he had like brain matter and and uh, blood on his clothes, so it was obvious that he yeah. had done it. And they caught him running out of the house. But apparently, he was a pretty pretty smooth operator. Hey, well, I mean, to ride those rails, yeah. And uh, well, living as know, a trans, to survive, yeah, yeah to survive uh, as a trans, yeah, uh, yeah, he kind of have to be. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, the next day, October thirty first, nineteen forty seven. Deputy Prosecutor Earl D. Mann. I think that name sounds racist. <laughs> Earl D. Mann charged Jake Bird in Pierce County Superior Court with first degree murder. Uh, but uh, only, so he was charged only in the death of Bertha Clute. At the time, it was customary to file only one charge in multiple homicides. Then, if they were unable to convict on the first offense, they could file additional murder charges. At his arraignment, Byrd pleaded not guilty, and the trial was set for Monday, November 24th, 1947. Whoa, yeah, that's really, two really Wait, fast. That's a two week, yeah. Three, wow, that is really yeah, fast. Yeah, you know, back then, uh, trials did happen really fast, a lot faster than they do now. I guess I didn't yeah. know that. Pretty crazy, huh? Um, at a motion hearing on November 14th, 19... Oh, it says 57, but it has to be 47. <laughs> Ten yeah. years later, you know no, no. Yeah. Uh, 1947, uh, Bird's defense attorney requested a change of venue, stating Bird could not get a fair trial in Pierce County. He also asked to be relieved as Bird's attorney, informing the court that Bird wanted to represent himself. Uh, the judge denied both requests. The trial began on schedule, but was slowed by jury selection. Questioning of the prospective jurors revolved around their impressions of the crimes from the news media and whether Jake Bird, a black man, could get a fair trial. Nope. For? Yeah. I think, okay. I think, and Washington is a liberal state, right? Well, I don't know but, how it was back then. Yeah, I don't know how it was back then either, but I... <laughs> I just the idea of like a black, Could a black man get a fair trial. Fair. No. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, four jurors were excused when it was learned that they recently served on another first degree murder trial in which the defendant was convicted and sentenced to hang. By the end of the day, a jury of nine men and three women were selected and court was recessed until 9 a.m. the next morning. Guess what color they all were? Uh, I'm assuming white. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Oh, you you know what? You get a hip-hop air horn. Woo-hoo! Here we go. Way to go. You got the answer right. <laughs> okay, so uh, the trial began on November 24th, 1947 in Pierce County Superior Court and lasted two and a half days. Weighing heavily in the trial was the murder of Beverly June Clute, who was bludgeoned to death when she came to her mother's defense. Blood and brain tissue from both victims were found on a bird's clothing, and his blood- bloody fingerprints were found in the house and on the axe. During the trial, Tacoma police officer John Hickey testified that he and Officer Russell Scutum, uh, gave Bird a beating while he was in their custody. Hickey said, I regret to say that I lost my temper after returning from the Clute home and viewing the terribly hacked bodies of the two women. Uh, he left out the word white. Mm-hmm. I had asked Bird as we sat in the patrol wagon why he murdered the two women. He said he did not do it. I asked him who did it then, and he said, it was Leroy. <laughs> Obviously. Who was, who, was Le, who was Leroy? I asked him, oh, another Negro around town, Bird replied. You're lying, I replied. And he looked at me with a smug and insolent look. He looked uppity. He looked uppity. He was one uppity <laughs> N-word. I know. Oh, he didn't say that. But I know he felt it in his heart. <laughs> I know I shouldn't have done it. But I hit him in the jaw with my fist, knocking him to the front of the patrol wagon. 
Then I struck him a number of times with my nightstick until he said, don't kill me. That brought me to my senses and we took him to the hospital where a nurse said he wasn't badly hurt. I'm I'm surprised that he admitted that he beat him. Well, I think, oh gosh, there's so many. If and and there's throughout history, there's so many atrocious things that white cops have done oh, to yeah. black men, guilty or not guilty. So, um, so that sucks. So, um, racism sucks too, and um, racism in policing sucks. And I think this is an example, even though this perpetrator is a fucking asshole. Yeah, so. yeah, but still, you can't go around beating people. No, not no, not necessary. Because we there's yeah, a system. There is the a system. system. Yeah. Anyway. Come on, guys. Yep, not necessary. So, uh, Bert's attorney James W. Selden maintained uh, that his signed confession had been an, obtained under duress and was therefore inadmissible. But the judge disagreed, admitting uh, the confession into evidence. On November 26, 1947, after deliberating for only 35 minutes, the jury found Jake Berg guilty of first-degree murder and recommended the death penalty. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, podcast listeners. I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. So um, now we'll get into the the most publicized mm-hmm. part of this case, which is the Jake Bird Hex. And I'm going to be using this despite all my enemies from now on. <laughs> Jake Bird Hex. Um, <laughs> so on Saturday, December 6th, 1947, Judge Hodge sentenced Bird to be hanged on the gallows at the Washington State Penitentiary on January 16th, 1948. After a motion for a new trial was denied, by Judge Hodge, defense attorney Selden told the court he had done everything, everything in his, in power. his power to defend <laughs> Bird, and that, amen, no further appeals would be made on Bird's half. Then Selden declared, I feel whenever any man, 45 years old, gets an idea that no lives are safe to anyone except his own. That man is is a detriment to society and should be obliterated. And this is his defense attorney saying this. Right. (laughs) Unbelievable. So when uh, Judge Hodge asked Bird for comment, uh, Bird declared, I was given no chance to defend myself. 
My own lawyers just asked you to hang me. They apologized for defending me. If they were so reluctant to defend me, why did they contest the prosecutor's proof of murder and now say that everything is proven? So so they contested the prosecutor's def- uh, evidence and then... And um, now they say that it was proven. But then now they're saying... They proved it, even though their evidence was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't really think it was in this yeah, case. Yeah, no, I, so... I think he was guilty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, he has a good point. I mean, if he had had a Johnny Cochran. Yeah. If his defense attorney at the end is saying, you know, he should be obliterated, that's not that's not their job to do that. I mean, right. He need, they need to defend them even during sentencing and everything, you know? Yeah. I mean, otherwise don't be defense a fucking attorney. defense yeah. attorney. <laughs> oh God. Don't get yeah. me started. So anyway, <laughs> at the, at the end of his 20 minute impassioned speech, bird declared all you guys who had anything to do with this case are going to die before I do. And that became known as the Jake Bird Hex, because within a year, five men connected with Bird's trial died. Those five people were (laughs) Edward D. Hodge, Pierce County Superior Court judge, age 69 when he died on January 1st, 1948. Joseph Carpock, Pierce County. You know what? I'm not going to do that on all of them. Under under Sheriff, age 46, <laughs> died April 5th, 1948. Maybe right I now. will. <laughs> George L. Harrigan, Pierce County Court Reporter, age 69, died June 11th, 1948. Sherman W. Lyons, Tacoma Police Detective Lieutenant, age 46, died October 28th, 1948. And lastly, but not leastly, victim of the jake bird hex james w selden bird's defense attorney remember with the humdinger he had uh age 76 died november 26 1948 all right according to the tacoma news tribune all of the men died from heart attacks and a sixth man a Washington State Penitentiary guard assigned to death road died of pneumonia two months before Bird's execution. By the way, do you believe in the hex? Do you think hexes? I are think it's real? probably a coincidence, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah, like he's in hell. Like, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> he's serial killing from hell. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And some of them were young. Yeah. A couple of them were 46. Yeah, in their 40s. You know, the older yeah, ones, like there was one, uh, his defense attorney was 76. So, he yeah. He was trash, by no, the way. Not afraid to say <laughs> No it. wonder he uh, he sucked. <laughs> He's probably going, <laughs> going senile. <laughs> yeah. 76 is not that far away for me. <laughs> Well, it's also oh, and I now I shouldn't say what I was gonna say. But seventy six is pretty close to a hundred. <laughs> no, no, it's not 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 that no close takers. to hundred. <laughs> Wait a minute. So uh, I get kind of kind of I get kind of weird when it talks in terms of life expectancy because because black people don't have very long life expectancies. Like I think the government expects me to live until um, I'm like sixty. Oh, really? just before they have to start paying me for Medicare wow. and shit. So yeah, if you there's a I I saw a, a a graph. And and so the life expectancy for black people gets older and older um each each year. But um I only say that because like uh I have like life insurance and, and my my mom is older than me. She's What your mom is older 60. than you? She is. Can you believe it? Would you believe it, girls? (laughs) She, so, but she, it makes me really like irritated that she she thinks she's going to live a really long time. And so she's, she's just real stingy with coming to visit us and stuff. So it makes me really, because she's like, I have to save all my money. So it makes me really, really bitter. I'm like, the government doesn't think you're going to live that long. Why do you think think that? that? You're going to die, woman. Sorry, mom. Anyway, she doesn't listen to the show, so. 
By the way, my eyebrows looked great before we started <laughs> recording. Yeah, I saw your picture earlier. Uh, uh, your eyebrows were on fleek. My eyebrows were on fleek. Thank you so much. I was so proud of it today. And But after all this sweat, there's yeah. a puddle under me. Anyway, okay. we'll continue. Bird stalled his execution for nearly two years by confessing the crimes during his years on the rails, which authorities wanted to investigate. On Sunday, December 7th, 1947, Bird was taken in a patrol wagon to the Washington State Penitentiary Penitentiary in Walla Walla. By the way, ever tried a Walla Walla onion? <laughs> to, uh, that's the only thing they're famous Penitentiaries for. Penitentiaries and anyway, onions. And, <laughs> when can I get the group on for that trip? To await his execution. Shortly after his arrival, Bird began confessing to his involvement in other murders that took place over a span of 20 years. Bird won a 60-day reprieve from the governor by claiming that he could clear up at least 44 other murders that he had either committed or participated in during his travels across the country. His confession brought investigators from all across the nation to interview him at the state penitentiary. Of the 44 confessed murders, only 11 were substantiated, but Byrd had more than enough knowledge about the others to be the prime suspect. As as Beth said, at least 11 crimes were solved through Byrd's confessions. Oh, that's good. Starting with the axe murders of two women at Evanston, Illinois in 1942. Other victims were confirmed in Louisville, Kentucky, Omaha, Nebraska, Kansas City, Kansas, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Cleveland, Ohio, why would anybody go there on purpose, Orlando, Florida, and Portage, Wisconsin. Yeah, so, uh, and I tried to, I, I tried to find anything on the victims in those locations, and I could find nothing. So. Man. Yeah. That sucks. That sucks. It would be, yeah. it would be nice. But uh, police in well, Houston suspected Bird of murdering a Mrs. Harry Richardson there. And Chicago authorities were curious about a weighted body retrieved from Lake Michigan, five miles south of Kenosha. Los Angeles detectives had their eyes on Jake for murdering a black youth and a Jewish grocer. While in New York City, he was tentatively linked to the robbery and murder of a delicatessen owner. I feel like it was kind of a free-for-all. I was going to say equal yeah. opportunity <laughs> murders. Uh, there is not, he's, he is captain of the diversity team <laughs> at his, in his little murdering club. I mean, yeah, he really uh, doesn't seem like yeah. he really cared yeah. who was who. Um, if indeed so, he did these murders. Oh, that's true. Never proven. Never never proven, right? yeah. Okay. Uh, Byrd appealed his conviction to the Washington State Supreme Court, but his petition for a retrial was denied. The U.S. Court of Appeals and the U.S. Supreme Court also rejected his petitions for a new trial. After the appeal process had run its course, Bird was scheduled for execution on July 5th, 1949. On Thursday night, July 14th, 1949, Jake Bird ate his last meal on death row and then talked with his attorney for two hours. Later that night, he was moved to a holding cell near the gallows where he was shaved and dressed in new clothes. Hey, what would your last meal be? Um, Steak? Yeah, yeah. I like steak. I feel like mine should be an array of flavors on yeah. my plate. Now, I was thinking, get me a number one from Lolo's <laughs> with, with waffles, fried chicken, grits, and a, a, a red Kool-Aid, and um, then I'd be all right. I'm thinking oh. steak and, and uh, French fries. I do love French fries. Maybe home-style fries. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, no, you wouldn't want to like a drink. Do they do that? For you know, last I, meals? it depends on the prison. I think um, they you, oh. you don't always get a choice. Sometimes you just get <gasps> what they give you. Yeah. Oh. So. Right. Yeah, a drink. Well, God, I don't know. I'd be in prison. Maybe I'd want a coke or something because I don't know if you can drink. 
uh, soda. Like some places are real strict about what what you can drink. You people don't yeah. even get to drink soda for years, you know. So I might just want a, a Coke, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I I don't I don't know, but I uh, I saw this question. Maybe it was one, on one of your pages. What would your last meal in prison be? And most people said steak. Yeah, and I was like just steak oh no no i'm just thinking the the main the main dish steak french fries uh gosh something chocolate for dessert definitely chocolate maybe chocolate cake with it's gotta be chocolate on there butter buttercream icing yum (laughs) yes yes i digress um So early Friday morning, July 15th, I said July 5th earlier in my previous statement. That was wrong. It was July 15th that he was scheduled to be um, hanged. Bird was taken from his gallows level cell to the noose at 1220 a.m., witnessed by 125 spectators. The gallows' trap door was released and Jake Bird dropped five feet to his death. After 14 minutes, good God, his body was taken down and a prison physician, Dr. Elmer Hill, pronounced him dead. He was buried in an unmarked grave. Why did you guys do that? In the prison cemetery, identified only as convict number 21520. I wonder if that's something they only did for black convicts. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Bird uh, willed his personal fortune of ooh, $6.15 to Murray Taggart the Walla Walla attorney who filed his appeals. Jake Bird was a 63rd prisoner and the seventh African-American to be executed in Washington state since the death penalty was established in 1904. Um, Up until the 1970s, Bird was considered the most prolific serial killer in the history of the United States. But uh, what he is most known for is his hex, WTF <laughs> So where are they now? Uh so yeah, Bird's story ended on July fifteenth, nineteen forty nine, almost two years after his last crime. He was hanged on the gallows, as we mentioned, and buried at the prison cemetery at Walla Walla Correctional Center. His grave is marked with his prison number, as we said, uh two one five two zero. And uh, do we know what made him snap? Uh, Not really, since we don't really know um, much about his home life, uh, except for that it was, he said, apparently, that it was horrible, and that's why he left. Um, He would not even talk about his hometown. Uh, Nobody even knows what the name of his hometown was, because he said he forgot it, which I don't believe. (laughs) <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like so so I uh moved a lot and um I moved to a place in Washington that I hated very much. And um I do block that seven years out of my like brain. I try to forget every second of it, but I still remember yeah. the name of the town. Yeah. So. <laughs> we moved around a lot too when I was a kid. And but I remember mm-hmm. every single place that we lived, even though you know some of them were awful. I, I kind of actually remember those yeah. better. <laughs> oh, yeah, dang. So. we're gonna have to have some tea soon. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't buy that he didn't, he doesn't remember the name, and I, but I don't know why he wouldn't uh, divulge that information unless something really bad happened there. Like maybe he killed somebody. Yeah. Yeah. He admitted to killing 40 something people, but he wouldn't admit where he was from. Like just in terms of, um, magnitude, those two, uh, stories, uh, yeah, very different (laughs) where I, where I'm from versus. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, you know, what the hell happened? Like what, did he kill uh, his family? You oh. know, what What the hell happened? Oh, yeah. You know? Okay. The one crime he feels bad about. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or, you know, maybe he killed, I don't know, a child or something that, that would be more horrible than what he admitted mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but psychiatrists <clears throat> examined Bird in jail, oh. and they labeled him as a psychopath. 
And they said that he derived satisfaction from the sight of women cowering in terror. In the verified cases, uh, most of his victims were female. Most were white. And the majority had been killed with hatchets or axes in their homes. And that's all we know. Yeah. Mm, it's too bad. There's, there isn't more info out there, but... Yeah. That's why we he are here to tell you what we do know. And if yes. you guys find anything out, add us. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> you can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. So what are your takeaways, Wendy? I thought you'd never ask. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that the hex, which was like, it doesn't sound like it was a very dramatic hex. He just said, you go and die uh, yeah. before he was sentenced is the wildest part of this case because a uh the hex worked and then <laughs> b uh that's all the news cared about i mean I dozens of white ladies died yeah that's, that's pretty, guys' pretty favorite weird. yeah i know um, pretty weird <laughs> also <laughs> um when i heard that they hanged him and that there was a crowd my brain was like oh this was like a lynching party because back in the exact time when he was hanged, lynching um, was a thing. It was a right. form of white terrorism where a bunch of white people would uh, take a black person that they thought did something wrong. And if they couldn't find that person, well, you know what? Your brother or we'll your just sister find or your somebody mom, else. Yeah. yeah, we'll just take them. And uh, they uh, would string them up on a tree, sometimes castrate them, sometimes burn them. Sometimes cut off their private parts, sometimes shoot them, um, sometimes cut off fingers and toes and Awful. use them as souvenirs. Yikes. And um, the, ta the townspeople, the, the crowds would drink lemonade and take pictures and send them to friends and family. Oh, um, and so I thought that that's what his hanging was like when I saw the crowd and I saw that he was hanged. However, um, I found out that in the state of Washington, two methods of execution are legal. One is lethal injection and the second is hanging. Lethal injection is used unless the inmate under sentence of death chooses hanging as the preferred execution method. And I don't think that they had lethal injection back then. So. No, I don't. I don't know when that started, but yeah, I don't think they did back then. So what's your takeaway, Beth? Uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, there was a criminologist uh, named... Eric Hickey, Ph.D., director of Alliant International University Center for Forensic Studies. It's a long mm -hmm. name. <laughs> Wrote about how the bird case challenges stereotypes of serial killers who are mostly thought to be Caucasian males. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas African-American killers typically are associated with urban violence. Uh, and he wrote uh, the revelations that Jake Bird, a black man 
had actually stalked and killed dozens of white women in the 1940s in dozens of state continues to challenge traditionally held uh, profiles of serial killers. So this guy was very different, uh, Jake Bird, and he allegedly killed 44 people uh, and was known, as you mentioned, he was known as the most prolific serial killer until the 1970s, but didn't get much much press, even though he was killing white ladies. Yeah, um, again, your favorite guys. <laughs> but when he did, it was all about the hex. <laughs> Unbelievable. And uh, I also want to know why uh, so few of his other crimes are listed anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. I mean, Where are the records. Yeah, I mean, even. Um, Clementine Barnabet, we found uh, information about the victims. I mean, there's nothing, nothing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe poor record keeping. Maybe I don't know. Um, there is a person who was on death row. He was on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday this past week. He wrote a book. He was on death row for thirty years. And he didn't kill this white woman. He didn't kill or rape this white woman. But the police, when they arrested him, told him, you're just another, I hate saying the word, but you're just another N-word. And even if you didn't um, commit this crime, you probably did another oh, one. God. So we're going to get you anyway. And then he spent 30 years in jail. Oh, anyway, uh, so, so was uh, he exonerated through DNA? He was. He was. Yeah. And there's there's a, a very prominent uh, attorney, his name I think is Brian Stevenson, and he, um, his whole life's work has been releasing um, non-guilty people from death row, getting them off so death row. Does he work with the Innocence Project? He might even be the boss of the Innocence Project. <laughs> I don't know. I should know more facts. Oh, but I was just curious. Yeah. No, and no he's biggie. About the clients on death row that he gets gets off, and also he's responsible for the opening of the lynching museum. Oh wow, where's that? Oh god, I should know more facts. <laughs> um, here, let me. Let me we can no, no, no. We can look no. it up and okay. and and yeah. uh, post it on our website. Yeah, we'll put it. We'll put it on. Well, yeah, we'll put it in the footnotes. So there's this um, museum dedicated just to lynching. Um, wow. And you can you can just Google lynching museum and um, there's um, footage of the tour and there's photos and it will blow you away anyway um so that uh i think um when we're talking about why we don't know very much about this guy's cases or his prior crimes is that i kind of believe and i don't know this to be true but i kind of believe that if the police arrested a black person for a crime that they felt there was less work involved let's pull real police work involved including paperwork and record keeping right and that might be why we don't know anything so yeah that's true that's true yeah so are you ready to find out how you shouldn't get murdered i'm ready (laughs) okay here we go uh if you love to crime and you don't want to die here's a tip for you (laughs) so um here, you go ahead, Beth. Okay, this segment's not intended to be victim-blaming. We thought thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. Uh, but in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning uh, from other people's mistakes. Uh, and you know what? I should have been killed a thousand times because I made so many mistakes in oh my life. So, my God. you know, yes, not definitely not blaming any victims. Right. By the and sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and then we'll just offer up generic tips. But in this case, mm-hmm. he killed those two women that he was convicted of murdering because I think he said in an interview that it was easy because their doors were not locked. Right. So our tip today is lock your motherfucking doors. <laughs> lock your doors. Uh, lock your windows. <laughs> lock, lock your houses. <laughs> lock your cars. Lock your work. Lock your husbands. Lock your lock kids. Lock everything. Lock everything. <laughs> so it would be really, really nice to live in a society where we just, you know, trust everybody and left everything unlocked all the time. Um, 
but we don't. You know, except for, but we don't. We don't. It's, this is sorry. Uh, so lock everything. Um, my suggestion is: I think you should lock your doors as soon as you get in the car. I think you should lock all your doors as soon as you get in your home. Um, check them also before you go to bed. My suggestion is uh, check that the windows are locked as well. Um, remember the Golden State Killer? He would break into people's houses, unlock a place for him to get in without them noticing, and come back later oh and rape and kill people. So um, just double check that the windows are locked too before you go to bed. Um Crime statistically increases in the summer when people's windows are open and their screen doors are open. Um, I can't afford a real security system, but if you can get one, I recommend um, Simply Safe. I've heard really good things about it. Um, you install it yourself so an ex-convict doesn't have to come into your home and install it for you. <laughs> uh, and uh, otherwise, um, another alternative is go to a hardware store and they sell little $5 um, sticky alarms that you put on windows and doors. So when a door opens or a window opens, it'll beep or ding oh. or chirp. Um, uh, the other thing I would recommend is if you live in the ghetto like me, uh, <laughs> get scary dogs. Uh, <laughs> matter of fact, get two of them and keep one in the, in the, in the, outside and one on the inside. So you're always protected. Um, and, uh, another thing, to keep your home safe is signage. Um, you don't necessarily have to have a dog to put up a beware of dog sign. Um, you don't necessarily have to have a security system to put up a generic security system sign. Um, they sell them at the hardware store. Oh, um, I didn't know that. And it's not, yeah, yeah. You, you the can security get, system you can, signs? Yeah, you can get a fake security system sign at the hardware store. Oh boy, are we telling, are we giving criminals our secrets? Anyway, uh, this yeah, is let's to keep, keep you going. guys. <laughs> You guys say keep going, keep you going. Can get them at the hardware store and put them in the front of your house. I don't you know what? Nobody listens to this show anyway. Uh, um, and while they are not foolproof, they are at least a deterrent. Most criminals are lazy. So if they see a sign, um, that might be an extra layer of yeah. protection. For yeah, you. and that's that's why I also agree with locking everything because you know, why make it easy? Yeah. Why make it easy yeah. for them? You know, they right. they might check your house and everything's locked up and then go next door and uh, maybe they're not all locked up. So they'll go. Yeah. Don't. Hey, rob the neighbors. Yeah. It's going to be <laughs> easier over there. So, you know, just, just don't make it easy for them. Right. Right. So um, this is a fun part of our show. We've, we've we're new to the podcasting game uh, and we are so excited that people are listening to it and responding to it. And we just want to share um, some of our listener letters and comments. OK, so I got um, a sh this is a shout out to uh, Hey, Hello, Bach on Twitter and um I wanted to say thank you for listening, and I love your tweet. He said, uh, oh, it could be a she. I don't really know. Um, but that Twitter person said that the hip-hop air horn has him rolling at work and that he needed this in his life. And uh, to that, we say, guess what? We are glad... <laughs> We are glad you are in our lives, and thank you so much for the love. One yes, more, one more again. There we go. Thank you. And we really appreciate that you're listening mm -hmm. and giving us suggestions. And if you guys have any suggestions for us, uh, be sure to let us know. We we love that. Yeah, please do. It it helps. It helps. The sh make the show better yes. and helps make us better and then you guys keep listening and telling all your friends yeah, so anything <laughs> you can uh, help us with we would appreciate it yes so um well, i guess we should tell them where they can where find us huh? find us yes <laughs> our website is fruitloopspod.com our facebook page is uh fruit loops pod and our discussion group is fruit loops pod discussion we're also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. So everything is Fruit Loops Pod. Fruit Loops Pod. <laughs> all, the th all, the all the things. <laughs> and uh, we also have links to our sources and our footnotes. Okay. So 
This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So um, until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. It's crazy out there. That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.